I was looking through this passage that we've got. We're, if you're not sure where we're at, we're in the book of Exodus, and we've been talking about the book of Exodus, um, well, since the beginning of September. And <laughs> I sit in our, our, our um, preaching team meetings, and, and, and all of us absolutely are amazed that we think we're going to be able to get through Exodus in eight weeks. <laughs> um, if you have never read the book of Exodus in the Old Testament from, from chapter 1 to chapter 40, you need to do it. It's an amazing story of God's deliverance, of, of, a, of a people who are just discovering themselves, and of a leader who's probably, probably one of the greatest leaders the Israelites had ever known. And I think there's some things that God can teach us, some things that we can learn from the story of Moses. Think about your week. The moments whenever you, whether you wanted to or not, were pushed to lead. Pushed into a leadership moment, whether that was because you've got kids at home, um, or maybe you're the boss where you work, maybe you own a business. Leadership, well, we're all leaders, aren't we? See, what I want you to remember today is you are a leader. I uh, have the incredible privilege of working with our staff, and one of my favorite aspects of my job is being able to lead leaders. I get to, to celebrate the wins, we mourn the losses together, we face the challenges, and let me, let me just kind of take a, a, a personal note. The staff team that, that we have here is amazing. From Ricky all the way through the staff, they're fantastic. They care they're trustworthy, they're honest, they are worth investing in, and they are worth listening to. But I also have a lot of conversations with a lot of people that are in volunteer roles, that are like, I say, you're a leader, you need to lead, and they're like, nah, that's not me, I'm not a leader, it's fine. And that's just not true. If you were created, if you were born, and you are, then you bear the image of your heavenly father. Who is a leader? So therefore, you, image bearers of God, are leaders. But what also we need to know and recognize is this. Leadership is hard. The past 18 months has shown me nothing but that leadership is hard. And if you are leading your family or you're leading in your business or in the community, you also recognize that leadership is hard because it almost doesn't matter what decision you make. There's going to be a crowd of people on both sides telling you that you're an idiot. I mean, you can either be too political or not political enough. You could be too far to the right and too far to the left. And I've been accused of being both. You can be too much on the behaving with masks and not enough worrying about masks. Too much worrying about vaccines and not enough worrying about vaccines. And everybody thinks the other is wrong because they're, well, just not my opinion. Leadership is hard. If you've ever tried to lead a two-year-old, leadership is hard. Because that cute, wonderful little baby starts being about two feet tall and they start walking around. And then they start saying things like, no. And you're looking at this two-year-old like, I'm an adult. 
you're telling me no? And they say, no, me do it. I do it myself. That sounds an awful lot like our story over the past few weeks. Maybe you're, maybe you're the boss where you work. Maybe you manage people or you own the business. Leadership is hard. Do we work from home? Do we not work from home? Do we need people in the office? Do we not need people in the office? What do we do about vaccines, masks, all of these things? It doesn't, we're not comfortable with any of the decisions that we make. Leadership is hard. People in the community, politicians, we kind of always go, eh, politicians. You know what we need? We need more Christian politicians. We need more people willing to step up, step out, be willing to take the shots, willing to lead with a servant's heart, with the mindset of Jesus. So leadership is hard. And I've already said that Moses is quite possibly Israel's or one of Israel's greatest leaders. If you haven't been following along in the story or if you're just not familiar with the story of Moses, let me kind of catch you up to where we're going to be today. Moses and his people were enslaved to the power of the world, the Egyptians, and their industrial complex. They were in a massive building campaign at the time. This single family did what families do. They had babies and grandbabies. And they got bigger than the Egyptian pharaoh wanted them to get. So the next logical choice for the pharaoh is genocide. Why not? Let's take all the little baby boys and drown them. And yeah, that sounds as bad now as it did then too. Moses, as a baby, was rescued. Not just by mom, but by someone in the Pharaoh's court. His name literally means to be drawn out. And so through, through this amazing set of circumstances, Moses not only is spared, but he's actually raised with an amazing education. He's raised to understand the culture of Egypt, what law looks like, and how to lead. But he never forgets where he came from either. You see, Moses, by the time he becomes old enough, actually goes out and discovers some Israelites, his own family, fighting. And he stops them. They give him a hard time about it because, of course, why would you want to break up a fight? Really? Then Moses sees an Egyptian beating a slave. And even at that point in time in our history as people and as a civilization, that was obviously wrong. Moses, the fiery, hot-tempered man that he was, let passion grip him and he actually killed the Egyptian, which does not go over well with the established order of things. And so Moses flees, flees, flees for his life. Moses meets a family, a man by the name of Jethro, the patriarch of a family. 
Moses decides to, they offer Moses a place to live and he takes up on it. Mary, a wonderful lady, has two children. And then, while Moses is finally safe and comfortable with what he's doing, God decides to flip the script because that's what God likes to do. And he calls him out literally with a, a bush that is on fire but not being consumed. Moses recognizes the one true God whenever he sees him or sees him at work. And Moses is called to do something he never thought he would ever do. Lead a people from slavery, from bondage into freedom. Moses doesn't think he's ready, like most leaders don't think they're ready. But Moses obeys. And Moses heads back to Egypt, first with his wife and his sons. And then this weird thing happens. Moses does not follow through with one of the rituals and rites that honors God with a sacrifice, a sacrifice, a procedure with his sons. And you can figure out what that means. God chases him down and says, you're not going to sacrifice your family on my altar. And Zipporah, Moses' wife, has to circumcise her own sons, which the Midians didn't do. And through, whether it was in that moment or whether it was in the moment whenever Moses meets up with Aaron just outside of Egypt, Zipporah and the children go back home. And so it's just Moses by himself. With Aaron, with his family. But there are plagues. It's dangerous. And Moses is threatened. And then we have those famous movie scenes, right? The, twelve, the, 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 the ten plagues, the final one being a death plague. And Pharaoh lets the Israelites go. Moses leads this now <laughs> band of close to two million people across the Red Sea through God, with God's help and out into the desert heading towards Mount Sinai. He gets to Mount Sinai. And he gets a letter. It's from Jethro, his father-in-law. Saying, I've heard of all the amazing things that have happened that God has done in and through you. I'm coming to visit and I'm bringing your wife and your kids too. Moses, I'm sure, is thrilled. It had probably been maybe a year since he'd seen his wife and sons. And he was excited. But I also know that he was tired. Because you don't lead two million people. Oh, okay, my Jacksonville people, remember, we've got a city of about 850,000. So think two and a half Jacksonvilles. He's trying to lead that all by himself. That's a lot. I guarantee you he was tired. But he's also excited. And the, the, the passage in, in, in Exodus 18, the beginning of it, he sits down with Jethro and he talks about how wonderful God has been. And Jethro's like, man, this is amazing. I can't believe how awesome God has been for you. God, the, Yahweh is the one true God. And they share stories. And then we pick up in verse 13. If you've got a Bible or a copy of a device or whatever, 
or if you want to hop over into the fcbc.life, the notes. So fcbc.life, and then this weekend, and then you can drop down a little bit and you can find the notes there. What I want to do is I want to read through this next section from verse 13, chapter 18, verse 13, to the rest of the passage here, the rest of the chapter. And then what I want to do is I want to pull out some, some things I think God wants to, to show us. Let me pick up in verse 13 here. It says, The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Okay, now hold on a second. Okay, so you got, you got the picture in your head? This is a little bit like the people's court um, where, where Moses, the judge, sits and the people stand. So that should look familiar kind of thing. So this is a people's court moment here, okay? And, and Jethro's looking around going, there's a lot of people. Is this what you do all day long? And Moses replies, 15, because the people come to, get, come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Okay, now hold on just a second. This sounds okay. This sounds appropriate. There is a need, and Moses is filling it. That doesn't sound that bad. Jethro, however, sees it from a different perspective. Verse 17, this is not good. <laughs> Moses' father exclaimed, you're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees, and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but... Select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. Verse 23 says this, If you follow this advice, and if... God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. Now, hold on just a second. So Jethro's not just giving advice free of charge. He's also saying, check this advice against God's will. Okay, that's important right there. Let me finish this passage out. Verse 24 says this, Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Okay, now hold on again. That's really impressive. Because, you know, whenever you get unsolicited advice from your father-in-law, your first response probably is to just go, sure, why not? That sounds great. Moses really shows some maturity here. Verse 25, Moses, he chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller, smaller matters themselves. In verse 27, to finish the chapter, soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who, who returned to his own land. All right, so what's going on here? Moses is trying to lead two million people out of one country and into another. 
He's trying to settle the natural disputes of people living in close proximity to, to each other. Intense, mind you. If you've ever been camping, you know that's where the best, biggest arguments happen. Um, he's also trying to make sure that they've got enough oh, basic things like food and water. And Joe talked about that a little bit last week, that it wasn't quite going well, and the people complained, and Moses got frustrated and all that kind of stuff. And Moses is also trying to teach a nation how to survive on their own with all of the rules that, are, that need to be implemented into a brand new society. All of the things that they had learned from Egypt, some of them didn't apply anymore. And so all of these brand new rules had to be developed and generated. And Moses is the one doing it. It's a lot. That's a whole lot. And doesn't it... Isn't, it kind of happens this way sometimes, where you get, a, you get a one of those people in your life that's just got that level of access to you, where they kind of look at what you're, go, what you're doing, what's going on in your life, and they're just like, mm, what are you doing? <laughs> this is what's happening. This is what, this is what Je- Jethro's doing. He's looking at that going, mm, I know what it looks like to lead people. It doesn't look like that. Moses is like, there's two million people. Do you have any idea what's going on around here? Do you have any idea what I have to face, what I have to deal with? Jethro's like, yeah, probably but you're trying to do too much. You and I are leaders. We lead in our homes, in our businesses, in our communities. Let's do the same thing that Moses does. Let's sit at the feet of Jethro and get a quick master class in what it looks like to lead well. I think there's three points at least that God showed me out of this passage, and maybe it's useful to you as well. The first is this. You need to know a few things. First, you need to know your why. Now, if you were to ask Moses, what's your why? Well, why are you doing this? Moses would probably give you a very, very good answer, which is, God told me to, and I'm supposed to lead the people. (laughs) Jethro doesn't disagree, but he shows them a different perspective. Picking back up in verse 23, it says this, and this is, Mo, this is Jethro talking. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures. And here's the key phrase. And all these people will go home in peace. Now, I think Jethro is saying two things at the same time here. Yes, the people will go home at the end of the day satisfied with the judgments that you give. But I think Jethro's got another thing in mind. And I think it's actually more important. This idea of going home This is what God had promised. This was the promise. A home. Not in Egypt, but in this promised land. And in peace, I've talked about this in the past, the idea of peace here isn't just absence of war, just a a full filling in your belly. There's an idea of peace here being even more holistic. It's um, that, that there's a wholeness of life. That there's harmony with others prosperity, fulfillment, victory over enemies. This is a bigger definition of peace than you and I are used to. And I have a feeling, and I think, this is what I think, I think Jethro is talking bigger than just everybody will go home and you'll get to go to bed a decent time. I think what Jethro is seeing is that this two million people aren't going to be in the desert forever. This two million people are going to go home What's your why? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you shower, eat breakfast, go to work, 
Why do you deal with the kids' homework? Why do you do all of those things? Typically, whenever I ask that type of question, people will give me amazingly great answers. They'll say, well, because of my kids. I want my kids to, to, to be able to, to grow up and to survive and do all those wonderful things, be able to be on their own. And that's true. But what happens whenever those kids move out of your house? Like mine are wanting to do right now because they're in college. Does that mean your why ceases? Well, what about... Those people that, that answer to me, well, look, I, I want to be successful in my business because I own the business and I hire other people and those families need jobs. Well, that's true. But is that the only reason why you own your business? So that people can have jobs and so that you can have money? Or is there something bigger going on? Is God calling you to something bigger? See, here's what I see. I see that people, whenever they place their why in anything other than the foundation of God's calling on their life, they get frustrated because jobs come and they go. Businesses come and they go. Kids come, they live with you, and then you hope they go. We need to come up with a bigger why. For me, and this is just mine, my why is this. Regardless of my job, regardless of what's going on with my kids and my family, my why is to make my world a little bit more like heaven and a little less like hell. I don't always get that right, by the way. But that's my why. It expands beyond anything that I'm doing it applies to every moment of my life. Whenever it's just me and my wife sitting on the couch watching a movie at night, or maybe it's me talking to my boys about what it looks like to, to, to be a man, to, to, to love well, and to lead well. It applies in my job, regardless of whether I'm hanging out with elementary age kids or whether I'm hanging out with adults, making this place a little more like heaven, a little less like hell. Yeah. I can get up for that. I can push through the, the junk in my job because everybody's job's got junk. Let's just be honest here, right? Everybody's, everybody's got job's got some junk in it. You can do all sorts of junky things in your life whenever you know your why. Moses pushed through a lot of junky things in his life because he's learning and rediscovering over and over again his why. Jesus knew his why. Jesus told us what his why was. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, I have come. Whenever you, somebody says, I have come, <laughs> that's their why. Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And he says that healthy people don't need a hospital. Hurting people need a hospital. Jesus came to do two things, seek and save the lost and build a church that could be a hospital for the hurting, excuse me, for the hurting, for the sinners. So therefore, what we are as a church are left with is this, this push and pull that happens, this tension that happens, because, you know, we, we actually exist not just for the people in the room or watching online, but for the people that aren't yet. And our focus has to be on those people, because the way Jesus puts it, if you... 
have not found the salvation of Jesus and his death on the cross, you are lost. And this church and Jesus' church is about helping you not find a church, but find Jesus. For Jesus, who had to endure a cross, it was worth it because that was his why. And that mission was worth it. So how about you? What's your why? What's your why? The second thing you need to know is you need to know your who. Your who. Now, just a quick side note. Your who ain't you. <laughs> let's, have, let's go back in time. Let's go back and ask Moses. Who's your who? Moses would tell you, there's too many million people looking around. This is the who. He'd be a little annoyed with that question. And Jethro would say, all right, I believe you. Verse 19 says, Jethro says, you should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. All right. But... <laughs> Select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. Jethro says, yes, your who is going to be the two million people. But you can't handle all that yourself. Your who needs to be a select group of people that are close to you, that you trust, that fear God, that will not take a bribe. These are the people that need to become your who. These are the people that need to become the people you invest in. Jesus did the same thing. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. And yes, Jesus came for the world. But Jesus' who was 12 men. And actually, inside those 12 men, there was three that he truly invested time and energy into. So who's your who? For the church today? Ricky's not here, so I'll talk about him just for a second. Sorry, Ricky. He can't be there for every single one of us in this congregation the way we probably need him to be. He's a human. He's a man. He can't do it all. However, he invests in staff. That staff invests in leaders, life group leaders, small group leaders, Sunday school leaders, ministry leaders. Those ministry leaders and, staff and, and, and life group leaders invest in people. And before you know it, Everybody gets their needs met. That's the model of church that we get. That's the model of church that survives and grows. You see, because whenever Jesus started with 12, that turned into 72 that Jesus sent out. And then that, once you get all the way to Acts 2, turns into 3,000. That's a big church. That's a big church by today's standards. We would call that a mega church in the business. And you know how that church survives? By having smaller groups of people led by people that fear God, capable, honest. Your life group leaders. 
That's how that happens. So that's your who. Now, at home, who's your who? <laughs> Probably your kids. You parents need to be investing in the lives of your kids because what, in the same model, your kids someday, regardless of how it feels right now, will have kids. And those kids will have kids. And those kids will have kids. And before you know it, the influences that you have today will make a difference for generations. The influences, parents, that you have today can break the generational curses. Did you have a father or mother who was awful? You can break that. You can break that cycle, that pattern, by investing in the life of your kid who will invest in the life of their kids and their kids and their kids. And just like Moses, you'll be able to have a greater impact if you invest yourself in these kids. Maybe you lead in one of our preschool or elementary areas. We're not going to rob the children of their parents, but we're going to partner with their parents. One of the most difficult things for me to figure out whenever I first got into ministry, especially in children's ministry, was that my focus, while having fun with the kids was super important, my focus actually was with their parents because nobody has an influence over an elementary age kid's life like their parents do. So if I partnered with them and the two of us could partner together, together we can help raise that child in a way that allows a generation, a generational pattern to develop. That is power. That is the design of what we do over there and what we do over there. People leading and guiding people. The who. Last thing you need to know. You need to know your how. Now, this is one of those places where uh, I don't have a lot to say just simply because your how is completely up to you and God. Your how will change. At one point in time, I went into college to be a high school math teacher. That was going to be my how. That didn't work out. So I ended up doing computers for 15 years. I wrote computer software. <laughs> that was the most boring job ever. But that was my how. I got to influence and lead in a place that was unique. And then God called me out of that. And my how changed. My how moved to elementary ministry and leading in the lives of parents and, and leaders and kids. And now my how has changed yet again. I get to do it all over again with just a different group of people. Your how will change from one season to the next. Your how one season will be with a preschooler, a toddler. Your how will then move to being with a teenager. And it'll be different whenever you <laughs> look at the challenges and you'll be like, man, I wish I could go back to those days whenever I had a two-year-old. <laughs> and then you'll have a 21-year-old. And the challenges change. I never prayed for my 16-year-old like I do my 21-year-old. Leading still matters there. But your how is determined by your personality, by your experiences, and by your skill set. Here's the how. Verse 20, teach them God's decrees. Give them his instructions. I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit more. You should continue to be the people's representative before God. So Moses, your how 
is to continue to be the, the priest. You need to be priest and pastor, and you need to be teacher. What's your how? How do you do what you do? Don't get it backwards, though. Don't worry about your how until you've worried about your why. Because your why and your who can determine your how. Because your how will change. God will move your how. We never like that. But it happens. All right, so here's your take-home homework. And this isn't going to be fast, I promise. It's not going to be fast. <laughs> here's what I need you to do. You should pray this prayer. God, help me be a better leader for my family, my work, and my community by showing me which area you want to grow me. God, do you want to grow my understanding of my why, my who, or my how? Here's the warning. Let me tell you straight up front. If you rush this process, you will hear your voices and your voices only. You won't hear God's voice in you. This is an iterative process, and it's slow. You'll have to take a lot of prayer. I'm trying to talk to my, my, my two college students right now about what their why looks like and how that shows up and what God's calling them to do. And they want the quick, easy answer because <laughs> they've only got four years of college and you've got to decide some things, and it doesn't quite work that way. It really doesn't. God's leading in your life is slow. God's leading in your life is personal. You will have to slow down. You will have to take extended amounts of time to understand what God is calling you to do. And then you may still not feel confident in that. Because whenever you truly get to the bottom of you and the top of God, you will truly understand that God's going to ask you to do some things. They're going to push you out of a comfort zone. They're going to push you into new places that you're not comfortable being. God may just have more faith in you than you have in him. Did he just say that? Yeah. So this is your homework. In this case... It's not a do, it's a pray. Because I can't answer this question for you. I can't tell you what your why is or your how or your who. But God can, and he will. Let's start that process right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, there is a room full of people here and then there's people watching online that they are going to be asking you this week to show them, to lean into them, to help guide them. And God, I pray that you will do that. That, that it will be slow and it will be frustrating and it will feel like it's, it, it, there's, there's no voice there. But God, I pray that your voice will shine through in that still, small way, that whisper that you use. God, be that whisper for us. Because God, you know you need leaders today, at this time. And like Esther said, we were created for such a time as this. A pandemic did not surprise you. The great resignation of 2021 did not surprise you. The way we feel right now does not surprise you.
Lead us. Guide us. We beg you for more of you. Be real. Be true in our hearts. And what will happen is we will turn every ounce of fame and glory and point it straight at you because you are the one who is worthy of the fame and the glory from us. For it is your love, your sacrifice, your faith that makes this work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so you're going to spend the rest of the week you're making that prayer. You're going to be spending the rest of this week asking God to push into you, to lead you around, to move you where you need to be. Now, if I've just spoke for 30 minutes and you didn't understand a word I said, it probably means that you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That probably means that the Holy Spirit doesn't actually live inside of you because you've never taken the moment that says, God, I'm emptying myself and I want you to be in me instead. And I take what you've done for me on the cross and I want it applied to my life. I want it applied to my ledger because I need you to cleanse me. So if you need to have that conversation, I'm going to be down here in the front and we can have that conversation. I would love to have that conversation with you. You guys have a great week. Love you guys.